0: Welcome to NAHAM Connections Podcast, Voices in Patient Access. Here, industry experts contribute their voices about popular patient access topics, including career development and leadership, revenue cycle operations, healthcare regulations, and the patient experience. If you like what you hear today, subscribe or leave a review where you listen to podcasts.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the NAHAM Connections Podcast. I'm Nicole Fountain, Naham Publications Committee Chair, and I currently serve as Vice President of Revenue Cycle at UChicago Medicine. I have been involved with Naham since 2008, over the years serving as the Midwest Delegate, Secretary, and in my most recent board position as Chair of the Publications Committee. I'm thrilled to host this episode and discuss the virtual patient experience with our guests today. Even before COVID-19 impacted healthcare in 2020, Patient access professionals were engaging with patients in virtual settings, and while this became the norm for many of us in the thick of the pandemic, virtual engagement is now clearly here to stay. I'm excited to welcome Octavius Jones, Julie Van Pelt, and Brandy Chris to this episode, who will talk more about their experiences with virtual engagement as well as what's on the horizon for this space. Octavius, Julie, and Brandy, welcome to the Nahum Connections podcast. We're excited to have you on this episode. Before diving into our conversation, can you just introduce yourselves to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about your career in patient access and your involvement with NAHAM. Octavius, would you like to start us?
2: Sure, sure. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate it. My name is Octavius Jones. I'm currently Director of Patient Access uh, admitting at the University of Chicago with Shared Services at the University of Chicago Ingalls Hospital. I've been in patient access for roughly about 18 years. I actually thought that I was going to be a doctor, but I guess things have their way of working themselves out. But uh, when I first started in my career in patient access as an emergency room registrar, that was actually my first exposure to NAHAM and understanding the dynamics of their patient access model, which we currently know as the revenue cycle as a whole. So it was, it was something that was fascinating. And over the years, I've been extremely blessed to be a part of some of the various conferences and to work with other healthcare leaders who are also a part of NAHAM. So thank you for having me today.
1: Great.
3: Thank you for being here. How about you, Julie? Sure. I'm Julie Van Pelt, and I am the Senior Vice President of Client Services and Implementation at MedUit, which is, according to Modern Healthcare, the largest revenue cycle company corporate partner in the country. And I am, uh, I have been in this space for so long That I remember typing uh, card embossers, Mm. really like breaking your finger, trying to get that thing into a card and then running it like a credit card machine over seven copies of face sheets and wristbands and pharmacy badges, and then putting them in tubes and sending them throughout the hospital. So I've been in this space for quite a while, and so I and have the opportunity to go to quite a few different association meetings and work with clients as a result.
1: I'm sure some of our listeners are laughing to themselves, Julie. So I just have to ask: when you say the cards, blue cards, is that what they? Blue, yeah. blue cards, yeah. And you had to
3: press so hard. <laughs> that you you literally, your fingers would be sore at the end of the day, if you really were processing quite a few patients through the access department or the ED, which back at that time, we called it the ER. And you, I mean, it like, you really had to press to make that thing work.
1: I, uh, I always chuckle when I think about how far we've come. I also have heard lots of stories of, from people who said they used to smoke cigarettes while they admitted patients too. So it's a good thing we've come away from blue cards and
3: smoking. (laughs) We we asked patients if they wanted a smoking room or not. (laughs) And there were times that we didn't have smoking rooms, you know, because everything was semi-private at that point. And people would get really uptight when you told them that you had to put them in a non-smoking room and they wouldn't be allowed to smoke. And I actually had some patients turn around and walk out.
1: Well, at least as we talk about virtual patient experience here, we don't have to figure out how to keep smokers happy. But let's real quick hear from Brandy. Brandy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
4: Yeah, thanks, Nicole. And thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm Brandy Christ, Patient Access Director at Bryan Medical Center in Lincoln, Nebraska. I guess I'm the newbie of this group. I started my involvement with Naham about four years ago when I started my career in patient access. I've been to a couple, meetings and trainings through NAHAM. I really enjoy hearing your story, Julie. That sounds like quite an experience, and I'm just really looking forward to this podcast and hearing from each of you. Excellent.
1: Well, I'm excited to hear from you as well, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate the opportunity to tap into your brains and your experiences, so let's get started. What does the virtual patient experience mean to each of you? And specifically, what does it look like for your role in the patient access space? And how do you think it compares in contrast to the typical in-person patient experience that many of us think about?
2: Well, I'll jump in first, if that's okay. So for me, when I think about the virtual patient experience, it kind of takes me back, if I can say, to a time where you think about grandma and grandpa you know, grandma, she may bake you some cookies and read a book with you where grandpa might take you to your favorite restaurant and go play baseball. In either scenario, both of them want you to feel loved and nurtured. And I think that's what what this here means is bringing that same healing, that same love, that same nurturing to our patients, just in a different form.
4: That's a great analogy. I also think of it as kind of, you know, the patient preference and a frictionless way to get in to get their healthcare. A lot of patients feel anxiety about coming in when you can have a virtual experience that can be very beneficial to a lot of patients who maybe have difficulty getting into the doctor or have some anxiety there. And, you know, there's always those people that would prefer to come in in person um, or call to schedule. And then there's a lot of the younger generation today who they want to just do everything over their phone. And so I think the ability to balance healthcare needs with family, and work needs is really exciting as we move forward.
1: So that's a great start to this. You talked about balancing. So as we think about the changes that have happened in our careers over the last few years, what are some of the changes that you've observed and the ways and places that we interact with patients and how has that transformed the experience and both as a patient access professional and, and as a patient?
3: So I think you're right, Nicole. I think even before COVID, we were starting to see some of the technology advancements. And it's interesting because we track a lot of data as far as who's going on portal, who is using the various software platforms, text messaging, IVRs. And it's interesting because we're balancing this desire for speed and instant gratification and technological advances against a need to still feel that I'm getting chocolate chip cookies from grandma, and or I'm going to the ball game. So we have a, quite a bit of data that says upwards of sixty percent of the people that are engaging in the technology also are prefacing that with a phone call. And so we're really trying to figure out how to make that transition. And we have seen that there've been some big milestones where things changed. I mean, certainly the pandemic, suddenly people who maybe had anxiety about scheduling a visit online or doing telemedicine or putting insurance information into a portal, suddenly had to order all the groceries online. And once you got over the hump of ordering your groceries online or interacting with your family and friends over Zoom, it seemed easier in some respects to do that. And so I think in some ways, the forcing of the hand has really helped us.
1: You make a great point there, Julie. I'm curious, and maybe you guys can weigh in for our listeners, I remember pre-pandemic, we used to talk a lot about generational differences with interaction and, and younger generations wanting to engage with technology and older generations preferring that in-person or at least by phone call, if not in-person interaction. Do you still see that now or has that changed in no, the last few years?
3: It's changed. And it's funny because we run the demographics on the age on age bands And the boomers actually started adopting the technology before some of the 30-year-olds. And I think when we've talked about it, one, they have time, right? They've got the time to mess with it. They've got the time to explore. They've got the time. And the second thing is they already understand the ins and outs. By the time you get to Medicare, you pretty much know the terms. You know what deductible is. You know what coinsurance is. You know out-of-pocket expense, whereas... Some of the younger generation that are getting kicked out of the nest at age 26 and losing their healthcare coverage and their mom and dad, it's all brand new to them. And I think that that, those are the, the people that we're seeing that need more of the concierge type direct customer service. That's a fascinating
1: observation. So you mentioned customer service, and so much of that virtual patient experience involves customer service. What tips do the three of you have for interacting with patients via phone or video, or maybe it's a secure chat or an email? What are some tips that you can share that our listeners can keep in their back pockets to help provide that customer service that our patients are expecting?
2: No, I would think that at least the, the rule of thumb that I have is to imagine that the patient is in front of you. When you think about the totality of what healthcare is and the ministry that it provides, there's a certain level of tenderness that you should give your patients. Of course, it begins with patient access. Um, We set the stage ultimately for a patient's experience. We are the first face they see. Sometimes we're the first call that they receive to schedule tests and so forth like that. So I think that and I always tell people should always act as if they are right in front of you, you know, don't just read a script give feeling, give compassion with it, you know, let them hear the inflections in your voice. Uh, If you're doing virtual, you know, come with some type of, you know, head movement so that they know that you're engaged. And so just kind of keeping that in your back pocket, I think of really remembering that, you know, just because this is a different Avenue is still the same type of healing, the same type of compassion that they should have as if they were in front of you.
3: Yeah. I
4: would piggyback on that and just say, you know, tone and inflection is very important, but also speaking with a smile on your face. The patients, they can almost hear that and feel that through the phone. A lot of my team is pre-registration and scheduling, so we are usually the first point of contact and making sure they have an amazing experience with us before they even get to our doors is a huge part of that. And we push a lot of customer service and do a lot of lunch and learn educations on how do we improve our customer service when we're not direct patient facing. And ensuring that all of their questions are answered and kind of listening to their cues as well. If they seem anxious or have maybe have some additional questions, you know, ask if there's anything else that they can do to help them or transfer them to somebody that can maybe go a little more in-depth with the procedure that they're going to have. We do a lot of that in our group and it seems to really help and patients appreciate that.
3: One quick tip for healthcare providers that are perhaps kicking around, if you haven't already started it yet with the secure chat that we didn't anticipate. We thought, okay, we're going to do chat sessions. We're gonna have this rep in front of the screen and that's all they're going to do is they're just going to interact. They're gonna focus on that computer. We found that the chat sessions are taking two to three times as long as a phone call would in our call centers and what we didn't expect and maybe you know the airlines have done this to us or maybe other industries and retailers that do chat but people would ask a question and we would answer right away we'd say yes you know happy to help we could set up a pay plan you know can we get started with your account number and then we would wait for six to seven minutes and people would come back and they'd say, you know, oh, sorry, I had to let the dogs out, empty the dishwasher, change loads of laundry. So I love the chat. But just as you're starting to think about the staffing behind it, you're going to want to put people who can multitask and maybe be doing some things in that time, because people will put a question out there and then they go radio silent for minutes at a time. And we've replicated that over and over every demographic. So just be prepared for that if you decide to go down the chat road.
1: That's a great tip. And one that I can definitely say that I will walk away having learned today. I had actually in the back of my mind thought if we could get secure chat up and running across the board, things would be quicker. So that's a really fascinating perspective. And thanks for sharing it, Julie.
0: Looking to grow your skill set and stature within patient access profession? Consider Naham's Certified Healthcare Access Associate or Certified Healthcare Access Manager, the only patient access certifications that meet NCCA standards. Showcase your knowledge, problem-solving abilities, and dedication to your career by becoming Naham certified. Visit certification.naham.org to learn more.
1: this has been really great discussion. So let's keep going. You guys have been sharing some really excellent tips for our listeners here. So let's shift a little bit to how does the virtual experience impact the revenue cycle? Do you find that that virtual experience we're providing has impact on billing as well?
4: I think Julie kind of hit on it earlier about you know, the baby boomers knowing a lot about their deductible and things like that. But one challenge that I think we have is when you add in more telehealth or telemedicine visits, especially now as we ease out of the pandemic, you know, payers billing practices are changing with if they're going to cover telemedicine visits and just the patients and even the providers understanding the billing challenges for those services. And the other nice thing I will say about some virtual patient experiences here, we recently started like Apple and Google Pay options for patients, and we saw an extremely good response to that. And so as we move more with text messaging, as far as appointment reminders, and also including some financial like pay your bills with ease, I think people today are getting a lot more comfortable with paying via a text. Pre-registering with a text. And so I think that will help improve our revenue cycle greatly with just more of those virtual options.
3: I think the texting is really starting to gain a lot of power. And I know that there's there was a question on challenges. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we see is the emails. It's so easy, whether you're having them write it, their penmanship is really bad and it's easy to misunderstand what the email is or people make typos in their emails or their email gets swamped with junk mail and they don't look at it. The emails, you have to actively go out to read your email. And so while everybody was jumping on the bandwagon of we're going to email you your statement and we're going to email you this, we're going to email you that, we found that people were not as engaged with the emails. And if they are wanting an email, we actually counsel the patients to create an email address. I mean, you could do all, so many different free email URLs like Gmail right now, and actually create a new one that they're just going to use for healthcare and not sign up for coupons at Bathbed and Beyond and not sign up for. Like just use it so it's clean and you know exactly what's in there. And if there's only one thing you're going to do today, it's check that email. But the text messaging is more intrusive, for lack of a better word. So I think the text messaging has really gained ground, especially if you can embed a URL that they can go to a portal and make a payment, or you can embed a phone call where they can do a one-touch dial and talk to somebody if they have questions. We're seeing the text messaging just gain a lot
4: of ground. Julie, I love that suggestion of a dedicated email because you're right. When I think about my email, I don't want anything coming through there because we get so much junk email these days. So yeah, the texting will be amazing.
2: Julie, that actually was phenomenal because a few weeks ago, uh, we actually set up uh, a young lady here with a Gmail because she wanted to get my chart. And so uh, she wanted to have an email address. And I guess she was between phones. So that's, you know, I guess that's something that we could look at as a challenge in case somebody doesn't have it. So to at least have both mechanisms, they kind of have a backup with each other to help them go forward. But yeah, I love that, a dedicated email.
1: Shifting a little bit from the billing experience, we have a variety of background among the three of you. I'm curious, Do you think that virtual experience differs across healthcare settings? So for example, would a hospital system take a different approach to any of this than say an outpatient facility or surgery center?
3: I mean, I think so. I don't, you know, I'm no longer on the provider side, Nicole. So, but it it was always my experience that acuity and urgency impacted accuracy, and so, when you have those things that are scheduled and maybe not as immediate or urgent or emotionally charged, you maybe have the luxury of setting some things up and walking people through things that you may not in a more acute setting.
2: Yeah, that does make sense, Julia. I think that as you see, and as we currently see here in the hospital setting, And it's a little different. Of course, we see the emergency room side versus outpatient side versus central scheduling and so forth like that. We see a lot of patients who come in for the elective services. They seem a tad bit more engaged into doing the virtual experience. Many of them will come in, they look for kiosk immediately to move them along their route. And a lot of them have stated before, you know, it's the the ease of being able to just contact their doctor really fast if they need them. And they actually really enjoy seeing that. But as far as from the urgent care perspective, of course, because of the acuities. It's like that they want to be able to get in contact with someone immediate, and some of them say they can't. So I have heard some pros and cons with those both sides.
0: Like what you hear on Naham Connections podcast? Visit naham.org slash Connections to catch up with the latest patient access content and insights from patient access professionals and industry experts.
1: We talked a little bit about this already, but I'll ask the question more specifically now. How has technology evolved since the pandemic to better serve patients virtually?
4: We're starting to implement a lot more online scheduling either through MyChart or our website to even get some of those patients that maybe don't have a relationship built with Brian Health yet. So I think just as we continue to evolve with that, it'll give us a chance to better help those in our community who maybe don't know where to go for help and just want to go to a website and then the ability for them to schedule an appointment right from there will be a huge benefit. And just continuing to improve our, our reminders and appointment reminders and scheduling and even, I mean, recently we started ED registration from your phone. You know, when you're sitting in there waiting, you can do that all from of the phone. You don't have to worry about going and talking to the admission staff. So. Those things, as they continue to evolve with technology, I think will just make it more of a frictionless process for patients to get excellent care.
3: I see the websites of the provider community becoming so much more dynamic, you know, whether it's like you mentioned, being able to reserve a time at an urgent care or at a minimum, see the wait times at urgent cares or EDs it seems that there's been much more focus on having the website be interactive and real time rather than just informational. And even things like, I have clients now that have their financial assistance application in fillable formats. You know, they've always, well not always, but since 501R, they've had the application and policy out there but you usually had to print it out and complete it and drop it in the mail or send it. And I'm seeing more web development that allows people to just fill out the financial assistance right then and there. So I think the websites of the healthcare provider community have really taken on some very patient-friendly leaps.
2: Yeah, and I've also seen uh, an increase in the number of apps that are out there course, many patients use my chart, but even clinicians are getting various applications that are putting notifications on your phone. Hey, it's time to do this. It's time to do that. Make oh, sure yeah. you take your medicine. So I think those are amazing ways. Um, and I'm sure some of these can even send applications to people who have smartphones, I mean, smart watches. So by all means, being able to kind of remind people, because that's one of the things that A lot of people need, I know myself, many times I might need a reminder to do something. My wife always tells me I need a reminder when it's time to go to the doctor. I mean, okay. But nevertheless, I think the advancements in technology are still leap years available. I think that there are so many things that we can still do out here. I mean, if you can bank online, you can check in at an airport online, you can grocery shop online. There's so many things that we have available to even increase this virtual patient experience even more.
3: One of the things that we have seen and we've been developing at Medway is using geofencing. And you probably have experienced geofencing when you've gone to maybe an amusement park, a music festival where if you've downloaded the app, you will get push notifications saying, do you need help parking? Do you need help finding the information? Do you want a map? You know, Disney world will send you these push notifications through the app. We're starting to explore developing that for hospitals so that when your patients actually arrive, there can be some prompts that help them navigate through the system and find their way around to where they need to be. And even as they're leaving, thank them for choosing the hospital and push a patient satisfaction survey to them. The technology is
1: definitely exciting. Uh, We've talked a lot today about how it's changed for patients. I'm gonna ask you to pivot for just a second And let's talk to our listeners about how the technology has changed the way we interact with our patient access associates who are providing those hopefully excellent patient experiences to people. So can you tell me, how are you leveraging technology, perhaps since the pandemic, perhaps before the pandemic, to support maybe training or monitoring or QA activities as an employer with your patient access team? particularly if you have people working remotely, how are you making sure that they're still providing a good patient experience?
4: Yes. Yeah. Um, we're starting here in the next month or so to do kind of a remote hybrid with our authorization team. And in preparation for that, we're doing a lot more technology-based. So OneNote for resources so that everything is in one place and when we make updates, everybody gets the update at the same time. Everybody has the most up-to-date correct information. We're doing that for all of our groups and it'll be extremely helpful for our scheduling team. As they're, you know, on the phone with a patient or a doctor's office trying to get tests scheduled that maybe are a little more complex and there's some certain prep or guidelines that we have to make sure we're meeting, then they can reference that right on their computer and not have to look at paper or when, you know, when we can eventually get them remote. Again, it's an online resource, so they're not lugging paperwork back and forth. We're trying to be more environmentally friendly with our technology and non-paper notes.
2: You know, I think that when you think about remote staff, you have to be, as a leader, you have to be very intentional in how you connect with them, because the cliche out of sight, out of mind can easily come about. So you have to make sure that you're intentional with staying in contact with them. And as we've learned, Zoom and Microsoft Teams, those are excellent ways to be able to connect with the the team. Usually for myself, I try to talk to at least one or two of my team members every day, just to kind of keep them engaged, to keep them understanding that we're here to support you just because you're not in the walls here with me, doesn't mean that I'm not with you. And so just trying to keep that engagement, keep that support with them is key. Because if not, you know, things will fall by the wayside, information that needs to be disseminated. Sometimes it becomes white noise when they just get email on top of email. So sometimes you need to have that, just as we do with patients, you need to give them that familial touch so that they understand, Hey, oh, this is the process. Well, this is why we're doing the process. How can I get you more invested in the process? So really being intentional about how you deal with your remote teams, I think is key.
4: I think Zoom has helped also with staying engaged with them. And I know here, you know, whenever somebody has a question or an issue, we usually go over and look at their computer. Well, then you start thinking about remote staff and how you do that. And then just throwing on a quick Zoom meeting and having them share their screen so you can help troubleshoot from afar is really beneficial for them as well.
1: All right, let's bring this home today for our listeners with a little bit of a look to the future. What do you believe is on the horizon for the virtual patient experience? Any predictions you care to share?
2: I think if we don't know better, it may have some virtual hospitals almost. I know many institutions are piloting hospitals at home. And so I believe the leap to do that, in addition to collaborations with virtual patient experience, I think could probably lead to something like that. And it'd be really interested to to see how that goes. I mean, cause right now we're doing, you know, telehealth, you know, during the pandemic, uh, I utilized it a couple of times as well as the virtual telehealth visit with my son. So I just think that the way we're going, the way the leaps and bounds, uh, the way technology is increasing, I think that actually may be something that, that comes to fruition.
1: And I would say CMS might even call it hospital at home.
2: There we go. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, yeah. And I think as the payers are starting to try and find ways to avoid cost and recoup some of the pretty steep expenses of 2020 and 2021, I think we'll start to see more support for some of those virtual efforts in terms of reimbursement. And that I think will unleash a lot of development. I know that there's, you know, there are now little EKG machines that you can use at home. There's so much available through various wearables. I know my 4-year-old granddaughter has an otoscope that her mom can actually put in her ear and it will transmit pictures of her eardrum to the pediatrician. And then she can get her amoxicillin without having to drag a screaming toddler to the, the office. So I think as those things start to really build out, then we'll see more on the revenue cycle come along with it. One of the things that we're working on right now at and we've been, we actually are live with a client is what we're calling the pizza tracker. So a lot of things in healthcare We look at in the retail space and say, well, why can't we do that? So, you know how when you order a pizza from your local pizza parlor, you get text notifications or there's an app where you can see, yes, they've got the order. Now your pizza is being built. Now it's being baked. Now it's being put on a car. Now it's being driven across town and now it's on your doorstep. We've actually started to develop that for claims adjudication and using the A37s and the A35s to try and help patients see kind of what's always been a black hole for what's happening after the service. Because so many times they'll get a bill 60, 70 days later and think, well, why did it take you so long to bill me? And it's like, well, because it actually took long for the insurance company to process, or we were doing appeals, or we were doing an RTP or development and sending medical records, whatever the case might be. So having them have that visibility to see that just because you walked out the door of your clinician or your provider, doesn't mean that there was money coming to that provider within one to two weeks. So we've been developing what we're lovingly calling the pizza tracker for claims. I think more technology that we can put and give that visibility and transparency to the patients in what admittedly is one of the most complex things that people ever deal with, and that's their healthcare. So I think the more visibility we can give them, the more they are going to feel really autonomous and part of the process.
1: Indeed. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Julie, with the idea of helping patients feel part of the process. And and perhaps that's what it's all about, seeing them as individuals that are in unique circumstances, and we are in a position to help them through it. So with that... Octavius, Julie, and Brandy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you sharing your expertise with the NAHAM community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
5: The conversation continues on NAHAM Connections. For more content specific to career development and leadership, patient experience, healthcare regulations, and revenue cycle operations, visit naham.org slash Connections. That's N-A-H-A-M slash Naham Connections. Plus, Naham members can access a library of on-demand education featuring a breadth of trending topics. Visit Naham slash webinars on demand to start learning. Not a member, but interested in taking advantage of these valuable resources? Join Naham to arm yourself with community knowledge and resources as you face obstacles in your daily work. Naham offers the year-round education and knowledge you need to help you navigate the unexpected. Visit naham.org/slash/naham-membership to become a member. That's dot morg slash naham membership Thank you to everyone listening today. Until next time.